We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Computer, this is Data. I'm an Android. I'm a basketball. I was processing all of the information. Processing. It's one of those idiots who believe in analytics. Rangers pick basketball. Analytics was crap. Does not compute. Just because you got good stats doesn't mean you're a good team. Hello and welcome back to the Lakers Exceptionalism Podcast. My name is Tom Z, joined as always by Tim, aka Cranger's McBasketball. Tim, it's happened. We're here. Anthony Davis is injured. How are you feeling today? Bad. Bad and cold. Uh, it's cold here. Uh, that's un- unrelated to Anthony Davis, but uh, <laughs> cold and bad. I-, I watched that game yesterday, Tom, and you know, given it was worse because LeBron was out, Russ was out. Reeves was out. Anytime you've got the big three and Russell Westbrook all missing a game, you're going to have a bad time. Uh, I appreciated the fight the team gave, but that was a, like, this team isn't going anywhere version of the team. Like, that's a bad, bad, bad basketball team. Uh, not feeling great, but trying to trying to keep my head up, trying to find, you know, you know me. I'm trying to find those little ways you can try to, you know, piece together a Frankenstein that somewhat gives you Anthony Davis between different players, but it's it's not going to be the same. Yeah, without LeBron and it, honestly, without one of those two guys, it's like bottom three roster in the league, maybe mm-hmm. like bottom one. <laughs> we talked a little bit about this with Damon in our playback uh, a few weeks back, but it does really feel like, you know, even without one of those guys that, that especially with, you know, Anthony Davis right now. If LeBron's not, and LeBron's playing great right now. You know, he started the season slow, but it's going to be a lot on his shoulders. Um, so, but I'm excited to see how you can tell me uh, how Wenyan Gabriel, Juan Toscano Anderson, you know, Damian Jones and Thomas Bryant can be Anthony Davis. So I'm excited for that. You just you just hit play on the Tim machine, and I'll <laughs> I'll give you my best pitch possible. But it's not you know AD's incredible. AD's really really good. He, you know, he was a, he the highest impact role man in the NBA when you combine his efficiency and his volume. When teams like went all out to take that away, he then was just able to dice him up as a post guy or a perimeter ISO guy. The Lakers don't have that kind of dynamic ability with these other players. He's a he's an aerial roller. He is a strong roller. I think the Lakers have like one of each of those guys. He's you know he's killing teams on the boards. The Lakers have a guy that can do that well. Like so much of what he brings, you would have to like combine the rest of the Lakers bigs to get a a worse version of it. So it's certainly a step back. It, but at this point, I, I think considering it's not a short term thing, this team's going to have to function for weeks and weeks and weeks. Without him, they need to figure out what the pecking order is among those those existing bigs. And I think they, they've had their starting point. We've seen them go with Bryant first, Jones second. Gabriel got time, but they're using Bryant and Jones as their fives. But they've, they've got some work to do. Because I don't think – I think you could say this might be a bottom five roster, but I, I still think this team should be able to be competitive if 
LeBron's healthy, if Reeves is healthy, if Russ is healthy. They're running a good enough system. They've got talent. It's going to take guys playing well. Your, your ceiling and your floor are certainly lower, but if they can like tread water and then go for a, you know, February, March, April push, I think they can still fight their way into the play-in, which I think is what I was expecting at the beginning of the year. I mean, the good news is, and well, you know, I don't, no one wants injuries, right, to anybody. Mm-hmm. The Warriors aren't going to have Steph Curry for a few weeks. Um, the standings of the West right now, we've talked about it. It's, it's, it's an open book right now. Like there, I think there's like six games separating the one seed and like the 12 seed, mm-hmm. which at this point, you know, it's, it's a lot of games, but it's also very, it's doable for, you know, if Damian Lillard goes down for another month or if Luca goes down, some of these other teams, you know, you can expect to slide back a little bit on top of the other team, like the, the jazz, I think will level out a little bit they'll probably be better than everyone thought they obviously have you know one already won like 15 games which i think people probably wouldn't have expected to get to until like february january but we'll see if they have a fire sale um you know as the trade deadline is approaching and, and trade season's kind of upon us so there are ways where the other circumstances outside of your control can help you a little bit here um, in comparison to other years where you've seen the Lakers really plummet in the standings because the top seven or eight teams are strong and not going to fall without some kind of major event happening to them. But mm-hmm. we'll try to talk through you know ways the team can, can manage this uh, absence from AD. But I just wanted to ask, we still don't know what it is, which I think is not a great sign. We had some, you know, murmurs from like Brian Windhorst and I know worldwide Wob uh, tweeted something as well that he had heard. It's again, we do not know Tim, but based on what Windhorst said, he said, it's not a sprained ankle. It's not a sprained foot. The messages I'm getting, it sounds like AD maybe broke his foot, but again, I do not have reporting on this. Lakers are suspiciously quiet to this point uh with the game happening several days ago now but um yeah if if you're looking at a broken foot tim that's three months Mm -hmm. two two and a half three months maybe february yeah it it could be given the amount of time that we haven't heard anything you know it's bad given the fact that they're looking into like second opinions i don't i would guess it's not a break just because i feel like that would be more straightforward I'm thinking it's probably, and again, this is again just speculation. Uh, I heard people in, in our in our Discord talking about like various what the injuries could be, and like one of them was like things separating from other things is my <laughs> the the degree of my understanding of what what it might have been, rather than like a little tear, like a micro tear, which is what those sprains are. Uh, well, there's a lot of small bones in your hands and feet. That's true. And some are more important than others. I bet they're all obviously important when you're an athlete. Mm -hmm. So, yeah, that's your point. He could, he might have broken something. And like the second opinion, again, we're not medical experts. We're just speculating, but it's, it could be like, oh, how can we, what's the fastest path to like 75% on the court? And then we can just Mm -hmm. kind of limit your minutes. You know, maybe they're trying to find those solutions here as well. Yeah, perhaps. Regardless, either way, it sounds like he'll be out at least a month, if not multiple. So this team needs to figure out what their new reality is without him. He's a, you know, big, big shoes to fill offensively, big, big shoes to fill defensively. And I don't see the team making like one of those bigger trades, like the Indy trade or Charlotte trade or Kyrie trade or something like that. I think this only makes them hold on to what they have more and say the season's lost probably a little bit more than they were previously. So I'm not expecting Miles Turner to come in and save the day. Although if they had made the trade already, don't get me started. It would have been nice to have another guy who could be your anchor big. Uh, In lieu of that, I think they're probably exploring, you know, who are not very good <laughs> bigs that we can like lower level bigs that we can pursue with like Pat Beverly, Kendrick Nunn and second round picks. Who are those guys? 
who maybe could we sign? I still think Whiteside could make sense. Uh, Boogies, I'm sure someone's going to bring up Boogie. I haven't read any articles or listened to podcasts, but Boogie will forever come up. Uh, but I think I think Whiteside or someone like that who's just a roll and cut big, you know what you're going to get. They can block shot. They can play drop coverage and be a roll man. That's I'm looking for like the best version of that. Anytime you're trying to combine that with shooting or that with post game, you're not going to, that's not going to be available. It's not realistically going to be available. And I'd rather have the shot, the rim protection and the rolling over just spacing and bad rim protection or just post play and batter the other ones. So if I'm trying to find like, you know, if I could choose one of the three, that's what I'm going for. And I think there are some decent options out there for that, that I'd be looking to pursue. Okay, so take all of that and, you know, can you filter it through the Lakers don't have NBA scouts prism and just sign (laughs) DeMarcus Cousins already? Because that's the answer. They've probably called Dwight already. (laughs) (laughs) He's having a great time in Taiwan. I don't know if he's going to leave. Yeah, he looks like he's having a blast. I I, I can't guarantee. I, I wouldn't be surprised at all if they've already called Dwight. I wouldn't be surprised if they called... DeMarcus Cousins. Uh, what was the question? <laughs> <laughs> no, you just provided a great, you know, well-rounded analysis of what the Lakers could do. And I was just asking uh, okay. if you could cut it into a tenth of that and, and mm. you know, based on the context of what we know about the team and their scouting. Yeah, so the scouting thing is going to be a challenge from a trade perspective. They have prospect scouts. That doesn't help us. When it comes to college kids, you can't go grab, grab them now. Uh, their pro scouting staff or lack thereof or dedicated people for that mean that they haven't actively been scouting the G League either, which is another avenue to pursue players. I could probably go pull some synergy data and find some G League big man that's a great role man and has good you know, shot blocking data and might be bad at everything else. But maybe that's like, you know, a temporary, like temporary, you know, plug the hole kind of guy. They should have that data. They do have scouts they can reallocate if they were to do any reallocation. Having AD go down would be one of those reasons. So I wouldn't be surprised if over the next couple of weeks they do have dedicated scouts. You know, I'm no longer, you know, watching Kentucky games. I'm now watching these G League games looking for who we might be able to sign. Uh, I think they should be throwing darts. I don't think this is a like wait for the perfect person. Like if you got a, you know, clear roster spot and roster spot and just start throwing darts. Um, or lean into playing Jones uh, and Bryant because I think that's internally what you're looking at. If you're not signing a white side, you're not signing a boogie, uh, who I don't think is the best fit for what what they need, and you're not planning to like trade or acquire someone. Like this team has other signers, they just they need to play them or they need to move on from them and, and throw some darts and grab some others. So among the internal options, I think you can have a good discussion, but the the current state is. Bryant's the first guy up, then Jones. And they played Jones 22 minutes, I think it was, 21 minutes. Last night, uh, Bryant was in the high 20s. So collectively, between the two of them, they filled the center position for the game. Yeah, I think... So let's talk about more applicable right away, you know, consequences to this. I think Thomas Bryant is primarily, like you said, going to see, you know, he's going to start. Um, he's going to see the majority of the minutes at the center. I would ex- expect, and then Lakers do still have Damian Jones, who was out of the rotation before this, um, for pretty good reason. He's not looking great, but he still has some clear strengths, and maybe they can, you know, bolster those now that they know they have to. Right. Um, my concern, Tim, kind of lies a little bit, and I know AD didn't play a lot, much of any four this year, but what happens there still, because I have a feeling we're going to get some more LeBron at center minutes. We saw a little bit of it, I think, against Philadelphia when Anthony Davis got hurt. Mm-hmm. Um, they put LeBron on that rim-protecting role at center. It was okay. It's not really like a of a super viable solution, but we did see last year how that could improve um, at least some of the spacing 
and Lakers have already been playing a lot of these three guard lineups. So do you think the Lakers will play a little bit more LeBron at center just because they have to, or are they going to try and save, you know, miles on him as well? Yes. I think they'll play more now than they did previously. I'm hopeful they won't play a, a lot more. If it means like five minutes a game of it, like, okay, I think you can probably find five minutes a game where that makes sense. It, it's not a sustainable, like, 20 minutes a game kind of thing for him. That's a big toll on you and it's going to hurt the team's defense in a lot of ways. Uh, offensively, like I get the spacing piece, but they've been able to make it work and be successful in non AD lineups that have LeBron not at the center. I don't think there's a compelling enough argument from my standpoint, from what I've seen to say, we need to like very much sacrifice defense so that we can like marginally improve our perimeter shooting. So I would lean more on the existing size on the roster. And now that Gabriel's back, he'll help as well from a power forward standpoint. Um, Thomas Bryant, he shot five for nine from three in the past, like four games. He's going to have stretches like that where, you know, it's not, he doesn't have a ton of gravity. He's going to get open shots for a reason, but if he can shoot 30%, 33%, right now he's shooting 33% on spot up threes on the season. That's not good, but it's like enough. It's <laughs> not going to kill you levels of shooting. Yeah, it's it's not enough that the defense is super worried about it, but it's enough that it's like, we can't just completely ignore this person. Yeah. So I think we'll continue to see five out. I think you'll continue to see four out one in. I think the team can still run the same stuff they've been running have LeBron as a four or, you know, acting as a ball handler. I, I think you can still lean on the bigs. I, I don't want to go too small. I think that's giving away too much and puts too much pressure on LeBron. And if he gets injured, then you're really, really in trouble. This, this season yeah. is very much gone. Well, I mean, we've talked a lot about the team's improved offense. And I think a good amount of that comes from having a high roll and cut big. Right. And having that mm -hmm. Anthony Davis role, we talked about taking stuff off his plate, having him be set up for easy buckets, dunks. A lot of that stuff's over the top. A lot of that stuff's Russell Westbrook, uh, LeBron, you know. So you slot Thomas Bryant and Damian Jones in for that. There's still a little bit of that, but you have a, a significant disadvantage now on the, the playmaking from that um, because it was wasn't just getting him the ball for dunks and stuff. It was getting him the ball, the defense collapsing him, kicking out to Austin Reeves. Um, so there is an element of easy shots that are coming off the table here just because Anthony Davis isn't drawing attention. Um, mm -hmm. But I do think that fortunately they do have better athletic centers than years past at being able to at least provide you some of those positives on an offense in that role and cut big position so uh, but is that right is that how you can can those guys match that on defense it's that's a hard uh, ask right because yeah it, it was the focal point of that defense mm -hmm. i agree and the big difference i think between the offense and the defense not none of these guys will fully do what he does you know that's obvious but on offense it's easier for the Lakers as the offensive team to dictate how they want to play and what role they want those guys to play in. If they just keep, you know, running out their same portfolio of everything that has a lot of roll and cut stuff, but it's also got a decent bit of post game and some perimeter ISO. These guys aren't going to succeed in that. They need to cut out what, you know, it made sense for AD. It doesn't make sense for these guys. Cut that out. Unless it's a, we've generated a mismatch. You're not posting these guys up. Uh, the playmaking part of for ad this year has come it hasn't been good like his playmaking metrics are fine they were about where they were last year we haven't seen a big jump he's still a decent passing big but it's not like he's been a focal point from a passing standpoint for the offense his role and cut stuff has not required him to make decisions as a playmaker the post game has and if you cut that out i don't see that as being a problem if you do need to you know teams are selling out to to take away the roles that should result in good open shots for shooters if you don't make them, you know, you lose. Um, but if you do decide you do need to post up, 
LeBron's there to do that. Russ can do some of that. Like you have some options if you do want to play, you know, 1v1 and then attack the help. You have options to do that. I don't think, you know, so so on that end, I see it as being easier to proxy this. If we look at like cutting data this year, cuts and dump offs, AD has really, really solid 91st percentile efficiency. LeBron in the 99th percentile. Bryant in the 89th percentile. Jones and Gabriel have been really poor at this this year. They're not the same kind of like strong, like I catch the ball and then I'm going to beat you to the rim and finish through you or over you. They're not those kinds of guys. They're better rolling. Uh, Gabriel's better, you know, with putbacks. Jones, ideally with him, you want him to be an aerial threat and just finish over guys. And he's shown us that he can do that at points this year. But his finishing overall has been much, much worse than it has been in previous years. Last year, you know, A plus grade, difficulty adjusted shot making. He had badges, you know, he had like a gold put back boss badge. He had a a silver pick and popper badge, a silver rim protector badge. Like he was good last year. If He's going to have more opportunity now to showcase some of that. So I'm hoping for some positive regression there from him. But between him and Brian, I think you can keep doing the roll and cut stuff and keep running those plays. Those plays work. Those plays have worked when those guys have run them and they should continue working with without AD. Defensively, though, you don't get to choose as much how you want them to play. Other, You have to... I, I mean, I still think they're going to play drop. Like, they're going to keep doing the same things, but the gap between them and AD is going to be more evident. They're, you know, right. Damian Jones is going to get bullied in the post. Thomas Bryant's going to have less mobility than AD. Like, they're not going to be able to, like, defend two or three guys at once and there's not a whole lot you can do about that unless you try to just change the scheme, which I don't see this team trying to do. So offensively, I think you can, the, the style will be a little bit different, but you can proxy more of what AD brings defensively, just not, not at all. And yeah. offensively, even while proxying what he does, you're taking away the post game piece, which is a, a huge element that makes him successful. And it's, I feel like there's effects that are, it's, it's a ripple effect of, Anthony Davis is one of the best rebounders in the league. Um, not only because he's good at rebounding, but because the Lakers desperately needed that from him this year. Um, so I feel like there's going to be a slight drop off there. Mm-hmm. I also feel like there could be a, a drop off in transition with Anthony Davis rim running and being one of the most dynamic, you know, ball handling big men there is. He gets the ball in those situations and pushes sometimes when you know, they, they flare out to the, to the guards and the ball handlers and he just pushes and creates lanes and creates, you know, chaos as he's coming down the court. But so there's going to be other, you know, ripple effects that are going to bring this whole team's kind of efficiency and, and strength down in, in several categories, not just the obvious, you know, scoring and, and defense, but rebounding transition offense. I think some of these things are going to suffer as well. On top of, you know, their late clutch moments haven't been great this season, but he's a superstar. You can get the ball in a superstar's hands and ask him to kind of make something out of nothing. There's one less person to be able to do that. Um, so here, let's let's take a quick break here. We're going to keep talking about how, you know, what's next for this team and how they uh, trudge through this Anthony Davis injury. And I want to get your thoughts on um, any other lineup implications and stuff like that. We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences. So the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. 
you know, if I would have applied myself, I could have gone to the NBA. You think so? Yeah, I think so. But it's just like, it's been done. You know, I didn't want to, <laughs> I was like, I don't want to be a follower. Hi, I'm Jason Concepcion. And I'm Shay Serrano. And we are back. We have a new podcast from Wondery. It's called Six Trophies. Woo! And it's the f-ing best. Each week, Shay Serrano and I are combing through all the NBA storylines, finding the best, most interesting, most compelling stories, and then handing out six pop culture themed trophies for six basketball related activities. Trophies like the Dominic Toretto I Live My Life a Quarter Mile at a Time trophy, which is given to someone who made a short term decision with no regard for future consequence. Or the Christopher Nolan Tenet trophy, which is given to someone who did something that we didn't understand. Catalina Wine Mixer trophy. Ooh, the Lauren Hill, you might win some, but you just lost one trophy. And what's more, the NBA playoffs are here, so you want to make Six Trophies your go to companion podcast through all the craziness. Follow Six Trophies on the Wondery app or wherever you get your podcasts. Listen ad free right now by joining Wondery Plus. All right, and we're back. Yeah, Tim, I wanted to ask you about lineup implications and just with the fact that Thomas Bryant and Damian Jones, let's say they're going to divide up those center minutes in 48 minutes total, right? Let's just kind of assume that's the the new status quo. Mm-hmm. Is there any diff other lineup adjustments you may make um, to kind of enhance those guys because – you know, I get a little worried about like a Patrick Beverly pairing with Thomas Bryant. Now it's good that there's that perimeter defense, but I also feel like on offense, there's a just one less kind of dynamic guy on the court. Maybe you like sliding a Reeves in or somebody who could help Bryant. And, you know, Bryant's also played pretty well with Russ, I feel like. So you're taking those two away from each other when they have previous experience playing. So I don't know. Just seeing, uh, you know, I I wanted I wanted to start Austin Reeves for a minute, but is there? Do you think any kind of other ripple effects throughout the lineup that this uh, playing around these big guys could change? I think there are. I'm thinking particularly on defense. These are two bigs that are not good defensive rebounders, and to help overcome that, you need more size around them. Beverly's been a guy who's played a lot of three. He's played some four, and that's not going to fly with these guys. It wasn't, it was like barely flying with AD out there. It is not going to fly with these guys out there. So, we, I mean, we've talked about it. We talked about it on the last pod. You need to play your bigger guys more. Brown needs to be playing more. Christy needs to be playing more. We've thankfully seen Christy playing more. He played really, really well a couple games ago. Last game against the Suns, that looked like. Uh, Michigan State Max Christie they that looked like the guy I watched for every game of his college career where he was being asked to do way more than I would want him to be asked to do we shouldn't see that guy used that way this year unless all like LeBron Russ AD Reese they're all out so I still have confidence in him he's gonna play fine play good defense shoot well if he's in that three and D role and I want him playing more I want him Playing more as long as he's playing that job. I want Beverly playing less. We've seen Beverly's minutes go down recently, the past four games. 24 minutes, 18 minutes, 20 minutes, 23 minutes. That's the low 20-minute per game guy that you and I talked about last time we podcasted. So we've seen we've seen that dip come for him, and I think that is helpful for the team. Uh, Kendrick Nunn is basically out of the rotation. unless you know I'm not counting the last game because so many guys were hurt, but he's pretty much out of the rotation. That's good from a size standpoint perspective. Uh, Reeves needs to be playing more. Troy Brown is someone who's had his minutes have gone so up and down. He's gone 30 minutes, 13 minutes, 9 minutes, 21 minutes the past four games. I want him in the mid-20s. At least. And again, just 3 and D. Him and Christy, I want to use the same way. 3 and D on offense defensively they do different things so you know you can use christy at the point of attack a bit more but though they need to get minutes because they are the size in this roster Wendy gabriel needs to keep playing um because i think if you can have jones and brian at your five lebron and gabriel at their four brown and and max as your threes and playing some four you've got more front court size than when you're rolling out lineups that have like Lonnie Walker's the three, Pat Beverly's the four, and then Damian Jones is the five. Like that lineup's gonna get killed defensively. So you just need collective size. You need you need true commitment to the defensive boards, collective size, and that should be able to help you overcome these inherent challenges, but they are still weaknesses. And when you try to overcompensate 
and, and help those things. Just like when you're like running, if you like, you know, your knee hurts. So you try to run a certain way to make your knee hurt less, but then you're like overworking your other hip or something like yep. that. And it, there's that ripple effect yep. that you were talking about earlier. You've got to try to find the best balance because you can't sell out for any of these individual things without sacrificing elsewhere. So, I mean, this is going to require other things like Russ being more involved and maybe minutes we don't want him in, like crunch time. You know, I still think they're probably better without Russ in the closing minutes. But what would a closing lineup without AD? It, what's the best one you can build that would make you feel good? Is it uh, Schroeder, Reeves, Brown, Walker, LeBron, Bryant? Something like that. Yeah. I Bryant and LeBron, Reeves, Schroeder makes sense. And then Walker or Brown, depending on what. And then it's either Walker or Brown. Maybe if Christie's like they've they've done it with Christie when he's playing really well. I I think it depends on what you're looking for. I think you could also, if you wanted to, take Schroeder out play Reeves at the point of attack, then yeah. you have an extra slot to fit Lonnie in and then play Max or or Brown as your three. But I think between those, what, seven guys, like three of them I'd have locked in, LeBron, Bryant, and uh, Reeves. Reeves. And then you got to figure out the other two between like four players. So I feel that because this is what worries me is that there's a desire to have those two stars on the court with Russ being the other star in quotes, you know, to, and, and I don't think those LeBron Russ minutes should exist. Like we we've gone over it, you know, since Russ joined the team, he's just so much better with the ball in his hands. Um, and LeBron just, I can't, I don't know, maybe you play them together just so LeBron doesn't, you can be in the game, but not, you know, spending that energy bar as we've talked about as much. So, I, but I don't know. They're going to just need Braun more just because of their lack of big men depth. Like you didn't even mention, I know Wontis Connor Anderson's out right now, but he's been basically nothing for this team so far. So you take him out of the equation, you trade Stanley Johnson before the season, and you just, it's Wenyan Gabriel and lebron mm -hmm. and that's it that's it yeah yeah you'll still some minutes for brown at the four as well but yeah that's what i think that's what you're looking at and on the topic of russ taking a look at that tool i set up where you can say all right well when 80s out of the game how does russ play differently than when 80 is in the game we see him post up more we see him spot up less the ball's in his hands more he's, he's less just spacing out and those are the only two major usage differences uh, from an efficiency standpoint. He's been about just as efficient. And that's, I don't know. I, I feel like that's a decent, you know, Russ posting up when you're looking for some post game and some playmaking rather than Bryant or Jones or somebody, if LeBron's off the court, I think, I think makes some sense. Uh, and then Russ as less of a spot up guy makes sense. So I think you can look at optimizing Russ's usage when he is in the game, but I wouldn't, if it were me, might be different for Darvin Ham. If it were me, I wouldn't be throwing them into the closing lineup we've seen recently and earlier in the year, like all the way back to that Portland game as recent as like the Washington game. We've seen teams throw big men on him and just stand out of the rim. And I don't want to watch that anymore. Uh, so I, if teams are going to go like hyper into the tactics of the game and attack you tactically, unless the Lakers start showing better answers for it, I don't, I would just rather opt out of that situation. Cause at that point, I don't know what he's really giving you. Um, I'd rather just have him coming off the bench. Just exactly. you can keep staggering him and LeBron. Exactly. And that doesn't, Go, you know, what makes you successful for the first 30, no, the first, what, 43, 45 minutes of the game doesn't suddenly go out of the window the past three minutes. Just stagger the two of them and, hey, LeBron's going to start the game and LeBron's going to finish the game and Russ is going to play minutes in between 
when right. LeBron's not out there. It, Spread because, out the two playmaking guys and, yeah. you know, surround them with, with players that, you know, optimize what they're doing. But you, you know, more, both of them together doesn't necessarily mean it's better. We know that by now. Right. I, I guess I'm just slightly concerned that the, you know, um, the lack of another star in the starting line. Like, I don't think obviously they're just going to put Russ in for AD. That's not what I'm saying. It's again, it's the mm-hmm. ripple effects that go out through the rotations. And I really think they should do whatever they can to avoid that affecting Russ's role. Now, it'll affect how successful he can be on the court in that role, having a guy like Anthony Davis next to him. And then, like you said, it's kind of a wash, it sounds like, more or less, you know, what he's been doing with AD efficiency-wise uh, without. But it, it's just the, it's so easy to say, oh, we don't have that second star in the closing lineup now. We just substitute Russ in. Right? I, I They need to keep this rotation as close to what it's been because I think they're tightening the screws and getting better and putting Russ in those situations where he can do better when he's in in the game than being in more to do war. yeah it's it's crazy they found the sweet spot with how to get him to contribute without you know when they close with him it's a disaster I mean, it's mm-hmm. every single time uh they close with him and given that he didn't play a minute of the fourth quarter against Washington given that we've seen them even when like LeBron's not playing, they haven't started him. Like I share your concern for what, like we know what we would do. What is the team going to do? But there's been some evidence. Maybe they're, they'll change their perspective. It's always smart to change your perspective from new information. So maybe they'll, they'll adjust. But if their stance previously was, you know, even with LeBron out or even with AD out, like we're not going to, you know, just, by default say oh well we need another star to backfill a star that was their stance previously and i don't think we've seen anything recently that would change that perspective if now if if they had him closing against washington instead of out the whole fourth quarter i'd be more concerned about it but the most recent data point we have tells us that they're somewhat aligned with with the thinking that we have so that makes me feel a little bit more comfortable, but you still have to wonder what it's going to look like now that it's like a long-term thing rather than, well, we just, you know, we don't want to start him this game because we want to keep him used to coming off the bench. Cause that could, that could certainly be part of the conversation where it's, if it's a one-off, you know, you know, temporary, temporarily, you know, plug the gap with someone else, keep everyone else in their normal jobs because we know tomorrow they're just going to have to do their normal jobs. That's not the same situation now where it might be, all right, well, for the next month or two, you know, we're starting from scratch. How do we want to construct this rotation, lineups, scheme, all of that? Yeah. Part of the tricky part, and I guess this kind of slightly transition into maybe one of our last topics here is just, you know, when you're when you're playing with these stars and you have a, a structured offense and you have this rhythm of who's getting how many shots per game and you take one of these guys out of the equation, there's a lot of opportunity for some of these guys to take more shots and be more involved. And where that is going to come from might not be where we want it to come from, right? So obviously like the game against Phoenix – Throw that out because half the team's out. So whatever. You're getting 20 shots than a shooter. You know, like it's happening. But realistically, who do you see as options to pick up, you know, their offensive load? And like who's the best options? Who who could it be? I I think you're probably gonna see Lonnie try to get the the first go, especially being in the starting lineup. Just gonna start to see him be more aggressive. Hopefully he's you know, not too banged up. I know he was a little, a little banged up the last game, but mm-hmm. um, Lonnie Austin is a Schroeder is Thomas Bryant is probably going to get a lot more shots, but where does that come? How does his aggression manifest? So who do you want to get some of these shots and, and, you know, give a, a better opportunity to provide for the team. If things are going well, 80s minutes as a big. I think this it's a different discussion if if 80 is a point guard. 80 as a center 
in how he's getting a lot of his looks from cuts, dump offs, rolls. You can take his replacement guys with Jones and Bryant and just have them do those same things. In those situations, if you catch the ball, it's because you're open. It's because we need you to shoot. The playmaking has already been done. Maybe there's a one more pass to make, but if you're rolling at the rim rather than just like catching the ball at the three point line, there's, there's, you know, at the point you get it, you should be shooting. So I think we will see a lot of the shot volume go to, we're going to see Bryant have games where he's six for eight or Jones go four for five or things like that, where it's, it's dump offs and rolls from a playmaking standpoint. If the team wants to go more to their post game, I think we're going to see Russ up his usage there and LeBron up his usage there. Uh, just total, you know, if the play's broken down, I think Lonnie's going to be a guy who's going to step up a bit there. I think Reeves is someone that that both of us enjoy having the ball in his hands a bit more, and he can take on some playmaking. He could play well on ball, off ball. So I, I think, and then Schroeder as well is someone that, you know, we saw an extreme version of it with so many guys out in the most recent game, but he's someone that is a score first slashing guard that can certainly look to initiate offense and then either he gets the rim or you stop him and he dumps it off to a Bryant or a Jones. So the advantage creation, I think, is going to come more from Schroeder, more from Reeves, more from Walker. The shots themselves are somewhat dictated by how the defense is playing in these situations, but will come from those guys or, you know, the, the Bryant and Jones is filling AD shoes is, I guess, the best way I can kind of phrase that. And, you know, Reeves has been great, I think, this year at, at creating and facilitating as a second option. Um, like Walker is mostly looking for his own shot, but mm-hmm. it's been good offense for the most part. He's been good, um, better than I thought he would be. So I just want the opportunity to land in the right place um, because, you know, Dennis Schroeder is as he's he's definitely declined right as a scoring guard you don't see him really shoot that pull up mid-range which he used to be so good at you know seeing him get when he does get to the basket those rims or those looks i i don't feel like i did it just two years ago you know it's it he's regressed in those places so i don't just want to see him start getting 15 shots a game just because there are shots on the table so it's working within the team to make that opportunity, make those guys know that opportunity is there and to empower the right people. Right. So hopefully Bryant and Jones step up, but they're going to struggle in some situations against better defenders that Anthony Davis could go around or above or through um, because he's so physically talented. So yeah, it's, I I hope I think Brian's going to do well. He's starting to play a lot better lately and I'm still pretty concerned about the Jones minutes. I'd say that's fair. He he's been good at this job in previous stops. It's not asking him to do a whole lot. I feel better about his offense than his defense. He's been a good secondary help defender, but he's not a good on-ball post defender, and he certainly doesn't have the same kind of impact that that AD can have. I, I think it's fair to be skeptical, though I think it could also be fair to be optimistic that, like, hey, this has to get better. Like, he can't be this bad at finishing at the rim. He's never been this bad at finishing at the rim. Uh, he's been really, really good in previous seasons. So, like, if he plays closer to his normal self, given the shot quality he's going to get, it's going to feel fine, I think. Uh, so I'm hopeful that more time will lead to more comfort for him and him playing more like he normally does when we've had games where like LeBron and AD take like 60% of the team shots. There are long stretches of the game where guys play six, seven minutes. They don't touch the ball or like, let alone take a shot. So maybe we'll see some of these role players get in more rhythm as you remove one of the guys that tends to have the ball in his hands, taking shots, making decisions, so maybe that gives Walker more rhythm. Maybe that gives Reeves more rhythm. Maybe that gives Dennis more rhythm as they're playing. Maybe not, but to your point, there's opportunity. Somebody's going to step up and take that opportunity 
it might it won't be as efficient it's not going to be as good but it's got to be good enough that this team can tread water for the next month plus and be within striking distance so that when he comes back when ad comes back that the team is in a position to you know make a push and hopefully be just a couple games out of the play-in and and you know come back and and fight for that with a play in the way it is like ultimately there's so there's so much of a wider like margin for error with this team it's still going to be you know if you're the 10 seed going into that like that's a really crappy place to be but you know we get back to the like nobody wants to play a healthy lakers team with lebron and ad you're giving yourself that opportunity so at the end of the day I, i still think it's you can have I don't know. I'm like moderately optimistic that this team is, isn't going to only play 82 games this year. Hopefully. Um, And I think, you know, wherever you feel on the Lakers trade philosophy, I guess I would call it. um, Either it's like the Patrick Beverly, Kendrick Nunn in like a couple seconds deal. I don't know. It's fine. I guess it's not even like player specific. It, I just feel it's like a half measure and yeah, you can, you can either really commit, but you should have already kind of made that choice by now. Mm-hmm. And the fact that AD being out makes you not want to make that choice. It's, it's not a great process. Maybe we can talk yeah. about that later in the off season, but. Right. I, I, I struggle to come up with a good none plus Beverly trade option. That gives me a piece that, in any way moves the needle for me. Like you're going to get the only way that makes any sense for another team is if you're giving them draft capital, which the Lakers don't want to do unless it's like second round picks, which are probably more valuable to us drafting guys and finding these diamonds in the rough than they are for these other teams who might see them as throwaway options. So that you're not really able to, you know, you're going to the store and you've got no money. (laughs) Like you're not going to get much. Or you're getting like a bad contract that the team wants to get off of and that you're exactly. getting expiring, you're giving expirings for. That is the, that is, you know, the one way you get something that might have a, an on-court impact this year is if you're taking on long-term bad money, which is the one other thing the Lakers don't want to do. So they're not, you know, they could say they're interested in trades. They could say they're going to do everything they can to extend this title window unless they're willing to move the picks, the first round picks or are willing to take on long-term money. And like, actually do that there's gonna there's such a thin you know we won't go too high we won't go too like we need something in the middle here right that's They're trying to thread right. and it's and nobody's good and then you're gonna get outbid if any of those guys are exactly outbid. exactly so it's i'm not thinking about trades at this point <laughs> i'm right i'm looking at this team i think you have more upside signing a hassan Whiteside than you do trading non-beverly in a second round pick for a big man that a team's willing to basically give away for free. Yeah. So yeah. I throw some starts, throw some darts at, you know, give Jones a shot. If he returns to form, great. If he doesn't return to form, get him out of there and go throw some darts at other guys. We know this isn't a team that wants to play anything other than drop. He's not a good fit for that. So, you know, someone else might see more value in that, in him than you, perhaps maybe it, maybe he's a trade piece. Uh, given the way his contract is and the fact that he's not in a situation that optimizes him defensively whatsoever. Maybe the Kings or someone else would have interest. I don't know. Brooklyn or. No, the Lakers are going to give up their two picks for like DeMar DeRozan and Nikola Vucevic. And I'm I'm, I'm going to cry. <laughs> if they do pull off a heist, I will celebrate the heist. That's no not even a heist though. It. Like, yeah, I mean, for the value it is, yeah, they're not, it's not okay. like, it's not, this is a title team, but like, you shouldn't be able to return those guys for second round picks. Okay, that's fair. No, I'm talking like, no, they're going to trade Russ and like Kendrick Nunn and both firsts for like DeMar DeRozan and Nikola Vucevic. I would be distraught. That's what I'm saying. Like, <laughs> I, I deal. like, <laughs> and then to your point earlier about the play in. One of the ramifications of that are less sellers. There are fewer sellers than most seasons because there is a lower line of demarcation. And even for teams like like uh, Sacramento is not there right now, but 
if they fade a little bit and they're at the 10 spot at the trade deadline, they're going to probably try and make a move to make the playoffs because that matters to them, right? Mm-hmm. Um, Dallas, it's going to look really bad if they miss the playoffs, play in. Golden State, you know, there's a lot of teams that are probably more looking on the side of buying, even if it's a small to moderate buy. It just takes, it takes op- opportunities off of your table because you have a limited you know, chest of assets and these teams are in the same market as you. So yeah, yeah. It, I, I agree. It's, we shouldn't be looking for this uh, savior trade or, you know, it, the time's passed for that. Mm-hmm. It's, it's passed and you missed your opportunity. Um, now other opportunities might come up before the trade deadline, but yeah, uh, you mentioned it before. It sure would be nice to have Miles Turner on this team right now. But yeah, that's absolutely. all. I, I'm going to get yelled at if I talk about it more. <laughs> yeah. Anything else you got? Yeah, what's I, up? I have one more topic I'm interested in bringing up. I, I finally set up a, uh, rather than doing it on the fly during the pod where I was pulling crunch time data, I set up a tab for clutch time in that spreadsheet where I've been tracking the X's and O's. And I think it's really interesting to see how differently the Lakers offense plays yet how things are still the same uh when when it gets like late in games what I used to pull this info was let's see less than three minutes left in the fourth quarter or overtime uh so I'll start by saying this the Lakers not during clutch time if we let's see what are we going to look at we're going to get rid of broken plays. We'll get rid of out-of-bounds plays. Let's look just at freelance offense, half-court sets. Uh, we'll get rid of their motion. They don't really run their motion unless it's like a deep bench lineup. Uh, their help meters or zone freelancers at play. Let's see, 30, what is it? 42% of the time, they're running a set play or a help meter. Those are what they run that have been good for them. And that's what I want more of. And that's what we should be rooting for more of during non-crunch time. What did I say? Like 40% or so. During clutch time, that drops all the way down to 30%. And they've been just as effective. It's very effective offense. They're, they're you know, blistering offensive efficiency whenever they run a set. Not every set. There are bad sets. There are sets that don't make sense for the lineups. But as a whole, when they're running their help beaters and their set plays, they've been very effective, whether it's clutch time or not. When you're running your freelance offense, uh, which allows the defense to dictate terms a little bit more, it's easier for them to engage tactically. Uh, That's been the Lakers, you know, the worst part of their offense. So 58% of the time, normally they're in their freelance stuff in clutch time that goes up to almost 70%. So you are leaning into like, let's just go play basketball rather than like, let's design a play to you know, choose who we want to shoot and where we want them to shoot. They're doing it more and it's been even worse than it normally is. They're scoring 0.73 points per possession in clutch time in freelance offense. Jesus. By far the thing they're doing the most. Uh, in other situations, non-clutch, uh, 0.95 points per possession, which isn't good, but it's fine. Like, that's okay. Uh, but when you get, you know, when teams are like, all right, here's exactly what we're going to do to defend Russ. Here's who we're doubling off of, like all of those things at the end of the game. And the Lakers are just out there trying to figure it out on the fly. It has not led to good looks. It has not led to efficient offense. They're taking so many more pull-up shots, long mid-range shots. They're not getting to the rim as well. They're turning the ball over more. Like all of these things you know, lead to them scoring 39% of the time when they, when they're in the freelance offense versus like 70% of the time when they're just running a set. It's crazy. It's insane. So I hope this is info they're looking at. They're much more effective when they run their organized offense in general, but so much more so once you get down to the last couple minutes of the game and this play calling bit right here is if they would you know, reverse these tendencies, they're a substantially better clutch time team. And so far this year, they've been, I think, the worst in the NBA. Just just yeah. horrendous when the game's on the line. So this is a quick I've fix. Been trying to, yeah. You're already good at the sets. It's not like I'm telling you to run sets that you haven't run before or aren't working. Like They are working. Use them more. 
And it's like, that's the part of the game that slows down so much. Mm-hmm. There's timeouts, there's stoppages, you know, there's opportunity to implement these plays and even implement a fast counter, right? Based on what you're seeing out there. Like, this is the play we ran earlier. This is what they did. This is what we can do to beat them again based on what we think their adjustment will be. Yep, yep. And you when know? the Lakers are running those out-of-bounds plays, uh, they've scored 0. .90 points per possession in clutch time, which is worse than just running a normal set because you're not allowing the defense to put in the right you know, people to defend it. You're not letting them say, all right, here's what the Lakers like to do or we're going to surprise them and go zone or things like that. You know, you want... It, when you're when you're calling a timeout to drop a play, you let both teams strategize versus when you're just live calling a play and not calling a timeout to do so, your guys know what's going on and the defense is more just kind of playing their vanilla, what are we normally doing kind of defense. So there's tactically an advantage to the offense just you know calling out a play rather than drawing up a play in a timeout. But yeah. even then, when they do call a timeout and run their stuff, it's been much better than the freelance offense which is why it was so frustrating for me at the end of that Boston game, seeing the team have like 20 seconds or something like that and not call a timeout and draw something up or run a play. They just played freelance and it didn't work. And then they get like some bullshit step back, Mm -hmm. you know, I'm even curious if what, like it's only a handful of, of plays, but to tie or take the lead, I bet you it's like, 0% 0% set plays. <laughs> yeah, I didn't track I don't have the score tracked for every one of these so I couldn't grab yeah. that for you but it certainly feels that way. Yeah. It feels just like I'm going to sit on the ball until 5 seconds and then take a step back, you know, 28 footer. Mm-hmm. But anyway, Tim, well we're running out of time here. We got to get out of here. Um if you want to get into our Discord, shoot Tim or I a screenshot of a five-star review. Send it to us on Instagram, Twitter. We're usually pretty good about that. Uh, we got a big community there, Tim. Uh, you can talk a little bit more about the tiers and the different people supporting us. Uh, yeah, of course. Uh, lots of fun stuff going on in there. want to shout out a couple people. Jay Timotaji for supporting us as an arena sponsor, as well as to Zach Harris, QDaddio, iPod Shuffle, Romario, Chamber, Miguel, T. Shuttleworth, Omar, Roy, Abdul Rahman, Keneal Mason, and Eric with uh, all in the owner's box. And then as well to our courtside and lower bowl crews. I need to get a bonus pod up sometime soon. Going to have another mailbag over there. We just recently uh, made a couple shifts structurally. We added threads, which are basically like rather than it or not threads, uh, forums, I think they're called. It's basically Tom, like instead of us just having like one long discussion in a channel about articles, you can now say, I'm going to create a post. Here's the title of the article, the link to the article, and then we'll discuss that article here. And there will be a separate post discussing a different article. So it's like, you know, like if you were on like Lakers ground or Reddit or something like that, it's a different style of discussion that makes more sense for certain channels within, within the discord. So that's been a fun shift. If you are, you know, an OG, just, you know, poster, just a true poster, want to get out there and, and have some, you know, shenanigans or, you know, post your great trade ideas or things like that. It's now much better equipped to uh, allow you to, you know, post those and then have good discussion around them. And it's not relying on people like seeing it in the moment you post it to find it. It's like its own separate thing. So it's easier for, for you to, you know, catch up and see what's going on and engage in conversation. So join those. It's a lot of fun. Uh, and then we'll also try to get some playbacks going again soon. I've been traveling a bit, but, uh, maybe, maybe we'll have uh, some Tim and Tom time or just some Tom time or see if Taylor's free. I don't know. We'll, uh, we'll get some more of those up cause those are a blast and it's fun for sure. You know, join the games with y'all or, you know, uh, not enjoying the games, but also with you, uh, <laughs> whether, you know, winning <laughs> or losing, it's, it's a better time than it usually is just on our own. Yeah, definitely. And, um, even especially in like some of the tougher games, it feels better to have some of that community presence there. So come check us out. Um, you know, give us that rating, super appreciative and grateful. It definitely helps us out. And um, yeah, until next time, talk to you guys later. Everyone is talking about magnesium. It's all you hear about, but why, what do we know about magnesium? Well, magnesium is the number one mineral that 75% of Americans are deficient in. If you are a woman over 35, magnesium will help you rediscover balance, energy, and vitality. 
Magnesium supports more than 300 enzymatic reactions in your body, including those involved in hormonal balance. From functional medicine doctors to mental well-being and female hormone experts, we all know that magnesium is the one mineral to improve all aspects of well-being and health. But which one? Magnesium Breakthrough from Bioptimizers. The trusted choice recommended by leading experts with seven best-absorbed forms of magnesium to ensure your body receives the support it needs for overall well-being. Go to bioptimizers.com balance today and use code BALANCE10 for 10% off. Support your journey to wellness at B-I-O-P-T-I-M-I-Z-E-R-S dot com forward slash balance. Magnesium Breakthrough from Bioptimizers, your foundation to optimal health and vitality.